Do you want your life to improve? Do you want your life to improve? Do you want to have a better life? Do you want to experience more freedom in your life? Do you want to be happier in life? If so, then you need a self-help book. That's what you need. In fact, here's one that might still be on the shelves. How to Survive a Robot Uprising. Tips on defending yourself against the coming rebellion. Yes, that would be in the self-help section. You can, in this book, find out what all the latest robot prototypes are. You can even find ways to treat a laser wound. Now, you may say laser wounds are not the biggest issue in your marriage right now and in your family. Or maybe laser wounds are a big issue in your marriage and family. Maybe y'all are pulling out the ray guns a little more than you should at home. But that's okay if robots aren't your speed. There are a lot of other self-help books out there. Graham Clifford of the Irish Independent notes that it is estimated between 2008 and 2014 that the sales of self-help books in Ireland quadrupled. In fact, last year it's estimated that self-help books in Ireland brought in $1.4 million. Now, if we bring that over into our side of the ocean... How much money last year did self-help books bring into the United States? What was the, the dollar amount? Well, it's a little more than $1.4 million. It's actually $10 billion in the United States that we spent on self-help books last year. Emma Walsh is a literary expert. She's a publisher in Dublin, Ireland. She says this, It's natural that during difficult times, people reach out for something to help them. In the past, they may have turned to the church to find the answers to their spiritual dilemmas. But now, more and more, Irish people are opting for the self-help book for advice and guidance. Are American people much different than the Irish people? Probably not. We are living in a culture where maybe there was a time that people would turn to the church when they had trouble, when they had problems, when they needed help. But now they may turn to to 10 billion other things. And why is that? Why is it that people are not turning to the church maybe like they used to? Well, there's probably 10 billion reasons why we could answer that question as well. But at the very least, we can say this. People are looking. People are searching. People want more meaning in their lives. People are wanting to experience more freedom. And people do want to be happier. What if I were to tell you this morning that the most guaranteed way to get those things could be boiled down to four words of advice? Just just four. And what if I were to tell you that those four words would not cost you $10 billion? In fact, they wouldn't even cost you $10. And what if I were to tell you that when I tell you those four words of advice, that you may decide that you really don't want to be happy and free after all? What are those four words? Well, James gives them to us, and they are simply this. Verse 7 of James 4, submit therefore to God. That's the advice that we have for the pursuit of life and liberty, and happiness. You know, if you were a contestant on Family Feud, and the category was five ways to be happy and free, 
And the host walked down to your cousin down the row there. And the host said, all right, I, I need an answer from you. You would probably not clap and say, good answer. In fact, you'd probably slap him upside the head if your cousin said, submission. Submission's not the word we would think of when we think of happy and free. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, that comes from submission. That's not the word that would come into our minds. What is submission? Well, it's military language, and, and it's the language that says this. You are voluntarily respecting someone and voluntarily putting yourself underneath someone. You're putting yourself under their authority. Now, the key word there that I said was voluntarily. See, you can not submit. You can choose to not submit on a, on a daily basis. You can choose to not obey. But that doesn't mean that it would go well for you. There's a story told about a man during the Civil War who put on gray pants and a blue coat. And he went running through an area where there were soldiers from both sides. The story says they found his body later riddled with bullets from both armies because they didn't know who he was for. You know, over the last decade, the the colors, the official colors of military uniforms have changed a lot. But if you were to go back years ago and and you found a general telling his soldiers to put on their combat uniforms when they go into battle the next day, and one smarty shows up in his dress whites, pretty sure the enemy's going to be able to spot that guy without too much trouble, right? You see, you can choose to not submit to God. On a daily basis, you can ignore what God wants you to do. You can go your own way, but your way will not lead you to where you really, really really want to be. And if we choose to not to submit to God, then please know this, that is exactly what the enemy wants us to do. It's his desire. Nancy Lee Dumas says this, at the core of fallen human nature is a problem with authority. We simply don't want anyone telling us what to do. Satan knows that if we could see the truth about biblical submission, we would joyfully embrace it. He cannot afford to let us choose the pathway of submission. For when we do, he is stripped of his authority and rendered powerless in our lives and in the lives of those we love. I mean, just think through this. Do any of us want Satan to have authority over our lives and over our families? No, we really don't. But that is exactly what we give him. We give him little pockets of authority every time we buy in to the lie that he has been saying since the beginning of the world. And what is that lie? That lie is fight for your rights. That's what the enemy tells us all the time. See, the enemy is constantly whispering into our ear, you have rights. But the gospel is whispering something completely different. The gospel is saying, you have Christ. You have Christ. There's two whispers coming to us constantly. You have rights and you have Christ. So which whisper are we listening to the most? And how would we know? Well, James helps us. We're going to kind of fast walk through verses 1 through 4 for just a moment. Look with me at verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source 
your pleasures that wage war in your members? Sinful quarrels, sinful conflicts, sinful fights, sinful arguments, they do not start with your spouse and your kids and your boss. They start with the pleasures and the passions and the lust that actually come from our hearts. In other words, James is saying sinful quarrels and sinful conflicts and sinful fights happen because we keep listening to the whisper of the enemy. We keep hearing, hey, fight for your rights. The Apostle Paul was before the church council in Jerusalem, and they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with him. And this is what Luke records. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away. So get the scene. These are church folks about to tear another church folk to pieces. We've never heard that in the last 2,000 years, have we, right? These are church folks trying to tear each other to pieces. This is what Paul said to the church at Galatia. If you bite and devour one another, take care. Be careful that you are not consumed by one another. This language is, we're, we're just, we're eating each other up. We're consuming each other. Listen, do you want sinful conflict in your marriage? Do you want sinful conflict with your kids or your grandkids? Do you want sinful conflict at work or at school or at church or in the community? Then keep listening to the whisper of the enemy. Just, just ignore faith in Christ and keep fighting all your energy to fight for your rights. That is the master plan of the enemy. To constantly take us away from our faith and take us toward ourselves. Look what James says next in verse 2. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. If you've ever smarted off, if you've ever lashed out, if you've ever whined, if you've ever complained, if you've ever given someone the silent treatment, James is saying that you're acting in the same way that a murderer acts. Because what we do in that moment is we want to kill that person's day. We want to kill that person's attitude. We want to kill that person's emotions because we didn't get what we wanted from them. And so we lash out. We give the silent treatment. We, we attack because we didn't get what we wanted. Think back to the last time that you had an argument or a conflict. Did it not follow something along these lines? Unmet needs or desires led to frustration. And then that frustration led to a fight. I mean, really, right? Think back to your last fight with your wife or your husband, your last fight with the kids. I mean, go into that moment from it. Did it not have a little bit of that math in there? There was something you wanted and you didn't get, and so you got frustrated. And then before long, it turned into a fight. Frustration led to a fight. Or if it wasn't a fight, it led to the silent treatment. Or if it wasn't the silent treatment, that frustration led to you getting your feelings hurt. Or if it wasn't getting your feelings hurt, you started whining and complaining or arguing and all these other kind of things. 
See, James is always doing exactly what Jesus always did. And what's that? Pulling us back to our hearts. See, our first reaction is it's always something else. It's always someone else. It's, it's never us. And our culture is feeding that fire more and more and more. And Jesus was constantly trying to put that fire out. And, and James is trying to put that fire out as well. You see, what the enemy wants us to do is to buy into our frustration, to buy into the fight, and to forget our faith. To forget our faith in Christ. Why do you quarrel? Why do you fight? Why are we contentious? Why do we even, in James's language, murder? Why, why, do we, why do we have jealousy? It's because we don't get what we want. And why do we not have what we want? Well, he's going to tell us that too. Look at the next part of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. Unmet desires lead to fights and quarrels because we don't get our way. And James says the reason we don't get our way is because we don't ask. In other words, we keep listening to the wrong whisper. We don't listen to the gospel say you have faith, you have faith, you have Christ, you have Christ. And so what we do is we we keep battling and fighting the wrong fight every single day of our life. James says you don't have because you don't ask. In other words, we don't turn to God and ask him for help. We fail to do that. We don't turn to God and say, God, what are my needs actually? See, we have what we think our needs are. And then we have our actual needs. And so what we fail to do is we fail to turn to God and ask him for help. But maybe you're here today and you say, well, I'm doing that i got some conflict in my marriage. i got conflict with my kids. I've got conflict at work, at school. Sadly, maybe even conflict in the church. I've got conflict, and I'm asking God to help, but I don't think he's answering my prayers. Well, here's one thing James has to say about that. Look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Someone once said that it is possible to ask for the right things for the wrong reason. It's possible to do that. You see, I think that might be our biggest source of trouble. Again, not talking about you know, needful prayer requests for, for actual things, but just we're not getting what we want, and we think this is what we deserve, and so we're saying, God, I want you to work this out, but maybe our prayers are completely wrong. It's not that they're evil. It's not just that you'd go, oh, that's awful. can't believe you're praying that. It's just that it's not necessary. It's not primary. It's not of utmost importance. And James says the, the very reason that you might be failing or feel like you're failing at prayers is you're, you're actually asking God for the wrong thing. You see, faith-filled dreams and foolish dreams are two completely different things. And most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves, what we want most is sometimes foolish. It's, it's not the need. But we need more faith to ask God for what we actually need. Imagine someone coming down to the front of the church this morning and grabbing this wireless microphone, and, and they want to join the church. And they grab the microphone and they say, hey! Good to be here, having a great time at Holland Avenue, enjoying being around here, had a fun time visiting. Listen, I'm thinking about joining, but before I do, I have some demands that I won't met. I have some things that, that I think the church should do for me before 
I join because these are things that I think I deserve. I mean, that would be a weird way to join the church, you know? And it seems strange. But if we're honest, is that not far too often how we go to our spouse? Is that not how we go to our kids? Is that how we go to, to other Christians and to people at work and school and all the other avenues of our life? Do we not go with this thing that says, this is what I want and I kind of expect to get what I want? Because you know what? I got rights and I think I should get what I want. Here's some questions just to consider when it comes to what we ask God for. Will this really benefit the kingdom of God? Will this really help other people? Or is this just something I want? Those are some pretty good things to consider when we're praying. Is this, is this something that's really good for God's kingdom? Is this something that will actually really help people? Now, let me, ask, let me say this. We can say yes to those first two questions and it not be true. <laughs> you know, because we can, oh, yeah, this is Christian. Yeah, man, but the church is doing this. We're going, oh, yeah, God wants this. Maybe, yeah, maybe. And we can convince ourselves that because we think it's helpful, it's actually helpful. But that last one is very important. Is this just something that I want? This is what Paul said to the church at Corinth. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We actually are here for the purpose of not getting our way. As Christians, as Christians, we don't exist to get our way. As Christians, we exist to make much of Jesus. We exist to bring glory to God. But what if we fail to do that? What if we're failing to bring glory to God? Well, James has an answer for that too. Verse 4, you adulteresses, thank you, James. We appreciate all that kindness. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the opposite of glorifying God, according to James, is active, hostile adultery against God. In other words, what we're saying is, God, I have seen your ways, and I hate them, and I don't like them. But I've seen my ways, and I love them, and this is what I'm going to do. And what happens when we make choices like that? Well, we completely shut ourselves out from God. We, we can't even see what he wants to do in our lives, what he's doing around us, because we're so consumed with, this is what I want, this is what I think I need. James says that's paramount to becoming friends with the world. It, it means that we're becoming better friends with the world than we're becoming better friends with God. How long have you been a Christian? Let me ask you a question. Think about the length of your Christianity. Would you say that from the moment you became a Christian to today that you're better or worse friends with God? You know, are, we, are we better friends with God the longer that we walk with him? James says that we're enemies, actually, of God. We're friends with the world, but enemies of God. It means that we look at the ways and the systems of the world, and we say, I'm going to love those more than the ways and the systems of God. But see, as believers, our goal is not to do things the way they're supposed to be done in the real world. As believers, the way we're supposed to do things is in accordance with our real God. God's called us to glorify Him. He's called us into relationship with Him. John gives us this warning in 1 John 2. Do not love the world nor the things in the world, for all that is in the world, 
The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is passing away. The whispers of this world are passing away. The things that we love the most in this world are passing away. Some of you have experienced this firsthand with the the death of of parents, the death of of older family. And you've gone through those those houses and those attics and those rooms and and you've tried to figure out what you're going to keep and what you're not going to keep. And you know what? One day, your children and your grandchildren, they're going to do the same thing. God, so morbid. Thanks, Dow. I'm so glad I came to church today to hear that I'm going to die. You know? But I just bring us into that to say this. These, these realities should give us great hope in the gospel. Because the gospel says, I don't die. That's the gospel. And so if something does or doesn't get left in the attic, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because of the gospel. The gospel whispers, I have Christ. I have Christ. The whispers of the world are passing away, but the whispers of the gospel last forever. Now let me jump over verse 5 quickly and let's go to verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love that first part. He gives greater grace. In other words, God's grace is stronger than our lust for the things of the world. God's grace is stronger than pride and arrogance. God's grace is stronger than the whisper of the enemy. And that's great news. That's that's incredible news. But James says, if there is pride and arrogance, if there is lust, if there's this passion to believe that you're better than other people, if there's this passion to believe that your way is the only way, then James says that we are not voluntarily submitting to God. That on a daily basis, we are doing the opposite of submitting to God. And if we put it in the terminology we've used the last few weeks, Jesus is not increasing. He is actually decreasing. And the picture we have here is that if we're refusing to humble ourselves before God, if we're refusing to submit to God, God is, according to the language here, opposed to our plans and our ways. So in other words, if if we are not decreasing, God is standing against our plans and our ways. All right, just a little bit of math. Is there anything good that could possibly come from the God of the universe opposing your plans and your ways? I'll answer for us, no, there's not. So we don't want to be in opposition to him. We don't want him standing against us. We we want to be standing in his truth because his truth is the best place for us to stand. One day Jesus went up on a mountain and he was teaching some people and this is what he said to them. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are not trying to feed the fires of pride and arrogance in their lives. Blessed are those who are not constantly fighting to get their way. Blessed and happy are those. Blessed and happy are the ones that keep looking to Jesus and saying this, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. You've given me all that I need. 
There's a story told of two ministers who were arguing about some doctrinal issue. Man, they were really going at it. I mean, just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and finally, one of the ministers said to the other minister, you know what, this is ridiculous. <laughs> what are we doing? Let's just stop all this. Man, we're, we're both doing the Lord's work. So you do it your way, and I'll do it God's way. You know how we said a, a moment ago that it seems as if, or I'll just say, it's true that people are not turning to the church anymore. I wonder if one of the reasons is that too many of us as evangelical churches are saying, we're doing it God's way. Traditional and contemporary, new and old, we're doing it God's way, and the rest of them aren't. Could it be that we ourselves are distracting people from the gospel? Could it be that in our lives outside of this room that, that people are not seeing happy, blessed, humble people that submit to God because it brings them joy and satisfaction? Years ago, a missions leader said this. I'd never get over this sentence. We cannot preach good news and be bad news. It's, it's got to be consistent. We can't come in on Sunday mornings and, and, and enjoy God together and then leave and be jerks at the restaurant. You know, we, we, There's got to be some consistency. We have to preach good news, and we have to be good news. And we've been called to be good, great news people. That's, that's who we are. We're, we're the good news people. We're the great news people. And the only channel that the news comes through crystal clear so that people can hear is this channel that we've learned from John. Jesus must increase and we must decrease. That's, that's the channel that God gives us. If Jesus is not increasing, if our motivation is not for people to find and discover and meet Jesus, then all of our religious words are white noise, or maybe to use a term from the New Testament, whitewashed noise. So we don't just need to be noisy with religion. We really, truly need to be making much of Jesus. And so come into the scene for a moment. James is writing about what? He's writing about things like lust and envy and strife and contention and jealousy and anger and whining and complaining and getting our feelings hurt. Things that happened at almost every single one of our homes this week. Things that happen at almost every single one of our workplaces and our schools this week. Things that have happened in every single church in the universe this week. And in the middle of that conversation, James says, here's the answer. Submit to God. <laughs> I mean, that does not sound like the answer at all to me. I don't know about you, but well, submit to God. No, something needs to change. Yes, something needs to change. We, we need to submit to God. We need to fall under his honor and his respect. We need to fall under his authority because it's good for us. Think of it this way. Did any of us wake up this morning and went, you know what? I think I want my mind to rot today with lust and sin. Did any of us wake up this morning and say, you know, I want my soul to implode with envy and jealousy. Yeah. Today, I want to have my spirit smashed and crushed with anger. I didn't wake up like that this morning. Any of us wake up this morning saying, you know what, I want to get my feelings hurt so quick so that at the end of the day I feel like I've been beaten in my heart with a baseball bat. 
Is that how any of us woke up this morning? No, I don't think we did. And yet, when we listen to the whisper of the enemy instead of the whisper of the gospel, we are sending embossed invitations to those emotions. We're setting up an instameet to have rotting, awful, imploding, smashing, heartbroken feelings and emotions all the time when we refuse to submit to God. I think that's easier said than done, and I know that. And I know we don't wake up with those kind of desires, but I don't think we've convinced ourselves that it's true, that it really is better to fall under God. This is what God said to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 7, 23. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And you will walk in all the way which I command you, that it may be ho-hum and average with you. Is that what it says? That it may be so-so, or it may be miserable. No, what's the word? Well. That it may be well with you. According to what we see in the scriptures, life is well with our souls when we submit to God. And life is not well with our souls when we refuse to submit to God and we keep plowing ahead in our own way. Maybe I'm different, but man, I, I want my soul to be good. I want, I want things to be well with my soul. I, I, I want to submit more and fight against God less. So just a few evaluation questions thus far. How are you doing today at completely putting yourself under the authority of God? How are you doing at putting yourself completely under the respect and the honor of God? Is God your commanding officer or an occasional consultant? Is God a feel-good friend on Sunday morning that you like being around? Or is God the final authority in your life? Is God the final authority for your decisions and what you do? If not, then there's a problem. Think of it this way. Let's say that you believe something. I mean, you really, really believe this. Let's even say it's a religious belief. Or let's say that you have a, a certain way that you think something should be done. Let's keep it in the category of religion. And then one day you're reading your Bible and you find out that your belief, according to the Bible, is wrong. Or that your way of doing something, according to the Bible, is wrong. Would you change? Would you begin to think different and, and do things differently? If not, if your answer is no, I wouldn't do it, then just know that what you're saying loud and clear to your own heart and your own soul and your own mind and your own body even is, I don't want it to go well with you today. Heart, mind, body, soul, I don't want you to have a good day. I don't want your life to go well, so I'm not going to submit to God so that you guys will be smashed and crushed and implode and beaten. Submitting to God is not something that we do casual. It's not something that, that we just do every now and then. It's active. It's ongoing. Submitting to God is not just being here on Sunday morning, although we love having you on here on Sunday morning, and you can come back on Wednesday nights and any other time we're around. We want you around. But submitting to God is this. At 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we are saying, I'm yours, Lord. I'm not here to get my way. God, your will be done. Your will be done. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter put it this way, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. That's some good, get that word. We don't use that, wilt. I mean, I wouldn't use it when you go buy your food today, but you know, it's a good word. Wilt. Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. James says, submit to God. That's, that's his language. 
Kent Hughes says this about those words. It's like grates like fingernails across the chalkboard of contemporary culture. I mean, you know that, right? You know that feeling. I mean, can't you feel it? I can feel it. I don't like it. Let's change the subject. You know, you, you feel that grating. And he's right. Because there is nobody in the culture that when you say, I want you to have life and liberty and happiness, and they say, great, how can I get it? Submit to God. They'd say we're crazy. They'd say we've lost our minds. Kent Hughes also says this, though. James wants to so fire the souls of his people that they will swim triumphantly in the river of grace. Love that. Okay, so I know it's been a little hard today. That's okay because we're going to end good. Notice the language, swimming triumphantly in grace. Victory, triumph, winning, all of this from submission. How? Because we daily make the choice to again say, God, I'm going to come underneath you. You're going to be my authority, my greatest honor, my greatest respect. It's going to be with you, God. Life, liberty, happiness. How? Because we listen to the whisper of the gospel. And we keep convincing our hearts and our minds and our souls that this one thing is all that matters. I have Christ. I have Christ. I have Christ. Friends, let's swim deep in that river today, this week, and all the days of our lives. Let's pray.